0: It takes a lot to share with your parents, you know, especially at that age when you are kind of starting to really want your own independence. It's like, now I have to lean on my parents more. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think another thing, and this isn't just parents, but this is like everyone is, is being like, oh, well, that's normal. Or that's, you know, oh, everyone feels that way and not validating someone's reality. Um, I think that's something I seem to be very detrimental for people.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world thanks to each and every single one of you that come back every week to listen, learn and grow. Now today's guest is someone that we've been in touch with for a while, I've been wanting to speak to her and I couldn't be more excited to welcome to the podcast, Corinne Fox, an actress, producer, activist and CEO. She was the executive producer of the Netflix comedy series, Dad Stop Embarrassing Me, which was inspired by her Relationship with her dad, Jamie Foxx, who also starred in the series. She's also filming a key recurring role for the second season of the Hulu comedy series Dollface, that me and my wife have been watching. And she's also the co-host and DJ on the hit fox television show Beat Shazam. In August 2020, she launched her own podcast alongside her best friend called Am I Doing This Right? Which acts as a guidebook for young people on how to kickstart their adulthood, which I love listening to. Corinne Welcome to the podcast. Hello.
0: First of all, I love the way you said adulthood.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I, adult. How I, do you say it? Adult. Adult. Yeah, no, we do not say adulthood. No, say uh, adulthood. you guys yeah. say it
0: the right way. One hundred percent. Do we? Do we
1: say it the right way? I'm not sure.
0: I mean, I think so. Yeah, we
1: had we had we had movies named so we had kid adulthood adulthood have you ever seen
0: any of these movies no i've never heard of.
1: they're actually really good they're all about the street culture in london so
0: oh no i've never heard of it i forgot
1: that yeah i i i'm i'm really happy when i get reminded that i still have my british accent oh because all my brit friends are constantly teasing me that i've lost it
0: really no i mean it's gonna it goes far in america (laughs) we're like what british accent like i I could listen to you all day hearing that Intro, I'm like, can you read that to me every morning? Please, please.
1: <laughs> well, well, for me, it's the other way around because every time I hear something in an American accent, it sounds authoritative. It sounds like a TED talk. It's really yes, because I, I grew like- up I grew up when I stepped foot in New York City when I first moved to America five years ago, I was like, I'm in a movie. Because to me everything looks like a set. Because I grew up watching American television. No,
0: that makes sense. I yeah. mean, New York, when you go to New York, it really does feel like that. Like it yeah. really holds up. When you come to LA, you're like, wait, what? Like it's kind of, <laughs> it's not as beautiful as there's some grimy areas where you're like, this doesn't have that magical New Yorkness to it. Yeah.
1: Well, you were just saying you love London. <laughs> I so, love Tell London. me about your experiences in London. You were there for a movie, you said. I,
0: yeah, I, I filmed my movie, uh, 47 Meters Down Uncaged, which is a, a shark movie, but we, we filmed in these huge tanks in London but london is my
1: what do you mean ta- explain like tanks. please yeah please so
0: so the entire movie is set underwater um first of all i lied to the director and told him i knew how to swim when i didn't know how to swim and um but yeah they built these huge tanks um where they had these really intricate sets underwater and we were scuba diving in the movie we get lost in these caves and so we spent months under the surface of the water so we'd go into work at 6 a.m. it was dark go underwater, see no light, then come up at like 8 p.m. And I didn't see the sun for, basically didn't see the sun for months. Wow. I know. And I'd have like a little light in my trailer, those like little UV lights. Because I was like, this is going to like negatively affect my mental health. So I was like, I would sit and like, roast in front of the light at my lunch break. <laughs>
1: Wait, you actually didn't see the sun?
0: Oh, no, I actually ones. didn't for months.
1: And they did that as part of getting you into character? No, or no, no. Was- it was
0: just because we had to shoot underwater. So you'd go inside, you'd go underwater, you'd come out, it'd be dark, then you'd go do it the next day. And wow. so it was like... Yeah, I I don't know if I'll ever shoot a movie underwater again. <laughs> I feel like I got my uh the taste of it from that.
1: That's that's the last time you lied about being able to swim.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to be truthful. And it was my first role, so I was like, I'll do anything. You know, you're like, "Oh yeah, I can totally swim. I'm such a great swimmer." And then they throw you in the tank the first day and you're doggy paddling and they're like, "Wait, did we guess the wrong girl?" So wait,
1: how qu- <laughs> how how quick is that learning curve because how I are mean, you When
0: you're when you're swimming for your life, it's pretty quick. <laughs> It's pretty quick. Um, no, I mean, I, I had to pass the swim test. The first day I didn't I didn't pass it. Um, and they were like, "Corinne, get it together. I was just dating my boyfriend at the time and he's like a, a lifeguard, like a certified, oh, wow. whatever. And so he was like, okay, these are the techniques to use. He was sending me YouTube videos. And the next day I went and I passed the swim test and they're like, okay, you can now shoot the movie.
1: I love that. Yeah. So your boyfriend's like, this is how you pretend to be able to do front stroke. This is backstroke. No,
0: it, is- was, it was literally treading water. It was how to tread. <laughs> Water video, YouTube videos. <laughs> wow, I
1: love that. That's amazing. What What gave you the courage and confidence to be able to say you could do something and then figure it out? Because I think that that mindset often works against us. Like people have imposter syndrome or oh, they I feel s- I can't do it, so I can't even put my foot forward. What gave you the confidence to say, I can do that and I'll figure it out, which you did?
0: Um, I, I do suffer from imposter syndrome a lot. Um, but honestly- and it sounds tacky, but I really think my dad was a big a big push in that. And the fact that like my entire life, he told me, I mean, this is a, a big statement, like you can do anything and you're so capable. And like, I just heard that constantly. And so when I got offered this role and I didn't know how to swim, I kind of heard him like, well, you can do anything. And I was like, well, I'll figure it out on set, <laughs> which is what I did. Um, but I really was instilled this confidence that like, I was capable at a young age. And so I felt confident to do it.
1: What was your first experience of that when going back with that father-daughter relationship? Like, when was the first time you felt you were hearing that from him? And what was the first few things you started doing based on that?
0: Um, I feel like he set up my whole life. And, you know, like when you're a child, there's not that many things that you have to meet in that way. I think a lot of that came when I was dating Mm. in high school and things like that, and really instilling in me my worth and just having like little petty high school, you know, breakups and being devastated and him just being like, there is no man that like can ever take away your self-worth. And like, do you know, he always says, do you know who you are? And I don't think he means in like my last name, (laughs) but like in my essence and like how powerful of a woman I am. And I just felt that I think specifically at that age when I really needed like a male voice that was like giving me that confidence when like, you know, I had little breakups here yeah. and there. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you are definitely a powerful person. Oh, you're, 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 you're doing so many incredible things. You are producing, you're an activist, You're uh, you host your own podcast. Tell us about what are you doing to balance all of that? Because I find that especially in, you know, your generation, my generation, there's this ambition and drive to do a lot of things but when you turn it from idea into implementation things get real How, how have you managed to be able to dabble in so many things but still you know figure yourself out
0: Um, it was tough. And there was recently I I realized, okay, there's a lot on my plate and there's a lot of different hats I wear and, and people I have to be the producer and then I have to be the actor and then I have to be the host and then I have to be, you know, this, that. And I realized, okay, like I can't do all of this by myself. So I actually this year got a life coach. And I don't know if you've ever had one, been one. I feel like you could be one. Um,
1: Yeah, I'm a a life coach and we have our own certification school too. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, you're definitely a life coach.
0: Um, But really just having someone sit down with me and prioritize, okay, like what do you want to accomplish first? And like how do we get there and making deadlines and making... Um I think it's just hard when you have so many passions to figure out like where do I start and it's easy to start a bunch of little things and then not really get to the end of them and so I really needed that structure so I meet with her every week we go over my priorities we figure out what days I'm going to do what that's a big one is scheduling in like I will send this email at this time I will do this cuz things back up you know and it's so easy to get behind so she's been a, a godsend and her plus my therapist equals healthy Corinne.
1: <laughs> <laughs> see, I love that. So I actually want to dive into that because I think, see, I love that. So I actually want to dive into that because I think today we're hearing a lot about a lot of people you hear say, well, you know, I was speaking to my therapist and you just said that obviously you've been figuring out life with your life coach and planning and scheduling. Tell me how you find therapists and coaches help you personally differently and and like you just said, now that healthy career equals life coach plus <laughs> therapist, which I love. What what are they bringing to you that's different from each other? Because I think we're living at a time where people are kind of becoming what aware therapy is. Yeah, but I still feel like coaching is is an unknown art.
0: Yeah, I I really didn't even when I went looking for a life coach didn't really know even what I was looking for. I just knew I had this need that with my therapist, you know, we go through trauma, we go through, you know, um, you know, my emotional states and how to like overcome some things and then I felt like I needed somebody to help me not an assistant in a way, but someone who was just helping me prioritize, you know, all these projects I had. So I feel like there's like a type A type B side to like my therapist is for my type B creative side that's messy and all over the place. And then my type A side is like my life coach who's like, let's schedule and plan everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I've I've always seen it as therapists help us make sense mm-hmm. of what's going on. And then coaches help us make things happen.
0: Yes, that's and a great simple simpler idea, way to say yeah, it. Yeah, it's
1: this idea of like therapists, they help us unpack our past. They help us untangle what's going on. Mm-hmm. They help us really move on from our past. And then coaches help you go, well, where do you want to be? Yes. Let's use your present to get there. 100%. And I, you know, I encourage everyone to have both coaches and therapists in their life because I, I think that's a brilliant, what even urged you to go out there? Like, how did you think about that? What was going on in your life where you were like, I need help in my life? Because I think asking for help mm. or looking for help, either from family or friends, sometimes we could even get in our own way. Oh, I, yeah. I was speaking to a friend the other day. And he was telling me how someone in his life, just no matter how much he's trying to support or facilitate, that person won't accept help.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How do you feel we can all open up to accept more help in our life and know that it's okay to want help?
0: I think it's a self-worth thing. You know, I feel like a lot of people don't feel worthy of help or don't f- don't want to be a burden. Um, and I think for me, I mean, when I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder at age 14, I was the type of person where I was like, I want to go to therapist, I want to do workbooks. I want to, like, I was just very much so like, I don't want to be held back by this. And so I think I applied that later on in life when I was realizing, okay, I'm feeling um, confused. I'm feeling lost. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to finish things. Like, now I need a different form of help. And so I feel like I, I was just someone who naturally— gravitated towards that, but I do think it's about feeling worthy and feeling deserving of help and eliminating that feeling of being a burden on someone else.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. That's such a thoughtful answer. Thank you for that. Because I think so many people right now are going to be listening to what you just said. And I'm hoping that if you listen deeply to what Corinne just said, that's going to urge you to break through that.
0: Yeah. And, and on the other side of it, I think people love offering help you know people (laughs) want to feel needed and want to feel purposeful and so you're you're also giving you know people an opportunity to show up for you
1: yeah i think giving and getting are both privileges right it's like that idea of if you have something to give and you're able to give that's an honor yeah and and for someone else to have someone to give that's ready to receive that's an honor too and i think you forget that so i love that i you spoke earlier about your father and the advice he gave you and how that's kept you going. But then you also have a show called Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me. <laughs> so so dad's, yeah. on one end, it's like, oh, dad gave me this really good advice. Yeah. And now it's like, dad, stop embarrassing me. How many times have you felt both those emotions in the same day? Every day,
0: every <laughs> single day. No, I mean, my dad and I have such a funny like yin-yang relationship where he is this like, over-the-top, performative guy who's drawing attention to himself all the time. And I was, you know, more reserved and quiet growing up. And so that was just this perfect storm for him to embarrass me. And because he's drawing attention to himself all the time, when you're a teenage girl, that's the last thing you ever want your dad to do, regardless of if he's famous or not. You don't—you want your dad to fly under the radar. And so we had all these funny moments of, like, him doing too much or showing up at— Um, like my cheerleading game, wearing like super tight clothes (laughs) and me being like, ah, that's, so embarrassing. And so we just wrote episodes and pitched it to Netflix and they loved it. And so it was such a cathartic thing for the both of us because at the time I was really embarrassed. You know, yeah. it wasn't a joke at the time when you're 16, 17, it feels like the end of the world. Um, so it was like full circle for us to look back and like laugh at these things that maybe at the time weren't as funny. <laughs>
1: yeah. I love that. I, the thing I love most about it is I'm not a dad yet, but I can imagine that if I, when I become a dad and if I'm lucky enough to have a, have a daughter, then I feel like I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing crazy things. <laughs> so, right? Yeah. I'm like, what, what would be your advice to people that are about to become dads of the warnings of what are the things that embarrass and what are the things that are good?
0: <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that's, I think that is part of your job description yeah. as a dad. Like, embarrassing your, your child, I think it's part of it. Um, I think it's a rite of passage for kids to go through. <laughs> so I don't really want to steer away from it, but I would say in my dad's experience, my dad was very... Um, he liked to play, pretend he was a bad cop with yes. boyfriends. Yes, I
1: can imagine doing um, the
0: same thing. And, and he's not at all, he's like an emotional, he's an actor. I mean, he cries all the time. He's like <laughs> not like that at all, but he loved to like put on the, you know, I'm going to bring my shotgun, you know, that <laughs> whole thing. And um, that was just like, dad, I'm learning. Just let me, give me the space to just grow and figure this out. You don't have to fight my battles for me. We have an episode in the show. It's episode two, I think, where he goes like knocking on the boyfriend's door with all of his friends. And he really did that in real life to my high school boyfriend. He went knocking on his door to try to, I don't know, scare him off. I don't know what he wanted to do. I was like.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. What, what, is, what do you think it is when, as kids, I feel like when we're growing up, we're Im- sometimes we're embarrassed of them, sometimes we're embarrassed for them, sometimes we're embarrassed for ourselves. Yeah. But then as we grow older, I feel like a lot of us develop a sense of gratitude and, yeah. and connection. Was there ever a time where you felt you were bitter or resentful towards your parent, not for anything legitimate, but just as a young person, kid growing up where you really just don't how were you able to overcome that how do you think that healed over time when you you kind of like oh I really wish they didn't do that something more serious not as funny yeah and then how do you kind of overcome that as an adult
0: yeah well um my dad just put out a book but he talks about in the book we went to therapy together when and when I was in high school or maybe in college um because we were kind of butting heads a lot and I felt like he really didn't understand me and so I feel like For me, I was really lucky because both my parents listened to me and they were able to like at least let me have my platform, even if they didn't understand. And I think it's very normal as a kid to go through the, like, my parents don't get me and they don't get what I want to do. And we definitely had those moments where, you know, and it's funny to say this, but going to college, my dad went to college, but didn't graduate. So he didn't really understand like how impactful that was going to be for me. And that was actually a point of contention for us where I was like, I'm going to college. And he's like, why? You don't have to go. Like, you can just get into the industry. And I was like, no, this is what I want to do and I need you to respect this, which sounds crazy to be telling a parent that, but he didn't really understand. And those were times where I was like, you just have to listen to me. And then when I graduated, he was like crying and he was like, oh my God, like, of course, this is such a a huge accomplishment. And I just didn't understand like what this meant to you. And Mm -hmm. and I do now.
1: Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I want to share with you the biggest news of the year. How many of you want to meditate? I can see your heads nodding. I can see you raising your hands. I can see you saying, yes, Jay, I really want to learn to meditate. How many of you would like to learn to meditate with me every single day? Now, I already know what the answer is because I know how many messages, DMs, reviews, notes that I get saying, Jay, I'd love to meditate with you. Last year, we took meditation to Instagram. And I meditated for around 40 days live and 20 million of you tuned in. Now I am taking that same focus, that same presence to Calm. I've partnered up with Calm to release a new series called The Daily J, where you can meditate with me every single day for seven minutes to make it a real habit. I would love for you to come and join me and take part in building a really powerful meditation practice. And guess what? We're going to do it together. Head over right now to calm.com forward slash J to get 40% off a premium membership. That's calm.com forward slash J. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting to just hear about. Relationships and and ups and downs because I think everyone's kind of on their own journey and everyone who's listening and watching has a different experience or position with their family and yeah. I think hearing this I think what I've always found that when when I hear about positive experiences of parenting or anything I always think for people I'm like if you didn't get that try and be there yes. and and that's and that's how you also get to experience that because I think about them like there may be a lot of people listening going well I didn't get that I wish I had that mm-hmm. and I'm like But then we can have that opportunity to go and be that and, and try and have that experience that way so that you still get to experience in your life.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that just goes to so many other things too, like healing your own trauma so that you don't, you know, continue to pass it on to, you know, generations, generations. And I feel like our, our generation is a lot more aware of, you know, our mental health and the things that have happened to us and like, Healing them now, so we don't pass them on later. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for including me in your generation. You're you're, you're much younger than me. I don't
0: think so. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yes, you're I, a millennial. Yes. Yes. Okay. We're oh, millennials. Okay, okay. Okay. all right
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's a great uh, segue because months ago you posted on your Instagram, Corinne's Guide to Wellness.
0: Yeah. Uh, and
1: I I loved that, and I loved what you were sharing there. I wanted to know where did you come up with that list from, and how did it develop, and. And why did you feel the need to share it too? Because I think that's, that was so powerful that you did that.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, my mental health journey started when I was 14 when I was diagnosed with anxiety. And at the time, there was no conversation for mental health. There was no hashtags. There was no social media. There was no brands doing self-care Sunday. Like that just wasn't a thing. And so I had to spend many years just doing a lot of my own research on what anxiety was and how to treat it and what worked for me. So over time, I developed this list in my phone, which is what you're referring to. I just screenshotted it, posted on my Instagram, um, of things that worked for me and like what made me feel better. And it was like, working out, going to therapy. And it's very specific for me. It's like one to two times a week. (laughs) Like, you know, and I don't recommend it. And I think I wrote, like, I don't recommend that for everyone, but I just started writing things. Oh, working out works. Oh, going to therapy works. Oh, journaling works for me. Oh, uh, meditating works for me. And I would just keep adding to my list so that You know, when you're having, you're in a really anxious moment or you're going through a a tough time, it's hard to remember all of the tools you have. You're like, I don't remember anything. So it was nice for me to have it in my phone so I could reference it, you know, if I needed it.
1: When you went through it at 14, what were the conversations like at school or like with friends or with even your parents? Like, I can imagine that, I, I agree with you that now we're living at a time where you just open up a social media app and there'll be someone talking about mental health or right. someone sharing something or a brand's doing something or there's an event for mental health. There's more therapists and coaches in the world. At that point, tell me how that dialogue went for you in terms of getting the diagnosis and then figuring out next steps. And how did people respond at school? What, what did kids know? Did your friends know? Like,
0: No, no, I didn't. I didn't feel comfortable enough to share it. I was really, really ashamed of it. And I felt like I didn't want to be called the C word, which is crazy. And cause I didn't really know what it was and people weren't talking about it. So I went years where I didn't tell any of my friends. I immediately told my parents though, because it got to the point where I didn't want to go to school. I was so anxious that I couldn't even sit in a classroom. So I knew in my head, okay, something's wrong. I know other kids can't be feeling this way. And that's how I got, um, started going to therapy. I've had the same therapist since I was 14. Um, I love this woman so much, but um, yeah, but, um, but no, it took me a long time to be able to like, and it sounds weird, but like come out and say I have anxiety. Um, And I did that through an article I wrote for Refinery29 in like 2017, 2018. And I was terrified. I was really terrified to tell the world that I had anxiety, which sounds crazy not to C word, but it sounds, you know, um, unbelievable now because there's so much, there's so much of a conversation for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what, what were you experiencing then? Like when you said you were anxious to go to school, what, what did that feel like? and, And what did that mean at that time for you?
0: It was, I mean, there was a lot of physical anxiety symptoms. So it was like my palms were setting my, you know, my heart's being out of my chest. I, I keep thinking that a plane is going to hit the school. Right. Like I just, these irrational fears and thoughts and um, panic attacks and things like that. Um, I struggled with panic disorder for a long time. 75% of mental health conditions start between the age of 14 and 24. So I was like right on par, like 14 years old. It just, you know, showed up. And um, I've been in therapy ever since. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, but that's, it's it's incredible that you've been able to, find the advice, seek the advice, build it, then be honest about sharing it, especially at a time when it is hard as a 14-year-old yeah. to not know what's going on. Then you can't talk to your friends about it because you don't know how they're going to react mm-hmm. and what words they're going to use. And then you've got the added challenge of like, well, now my parents know because they have to know. And and where's this going? But it sounds like when I look at that, Corinne's Guide to Wellness, and I look at things like socializing with friends twice a week, <laughs> right? Uh, you all said giving back once a month, which I want to dive into some of those. But- I love what you said. And it was so you said it so simply, but it's actually so profound. You just said, I was creating a toolkit for myself because when you're feeling anxious, you forget what to do. Oh, yeah. But when you go to your toolkit, you're like, oh, this is this is the stuff I need to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a great way of putting it for anyone and everyone. It's like you have to create a guide when you're not experiencing anxiety. (laughs) So that when you're in anxiety, you know what to look at.
0: Exactly. Uh, Let's
1: dive into some of those. When you say socializing with friends twice a week. What was the type of socializing that helped you relieve anxiety versus what type of socializing actually created more of it?
0: Right, like being in college and going to a college party maybe isn't the type of socializing (laughs) that's going to relieve anxiety. But like meaningful conversations, movie nights, um, going out to dinner, just being with like a close-knit group of friends yeah that definitely doesn't refer to just like hitting the town maybe that works for some people again it's like for me but for for me it was just having real conversations and just you know being in company i think when you feel anxious or depressed you you tend to go inward and i realize okay i have to force myself to go outwards mm-hmm. um you know when i'm feel when i'm not feeling well
1: yeah what are some of the mistakes you think you've seen that parents make like so maybe there's parents listening to this, young parents or parents with young kids uh, listening to the podcast right now. What are some of the things that you think are really hard when your child's going through it, but from a child's perspective who's, or a teenager's perspective who's experiencing anxiety, what are some of the things parents can do better? And what are some of the mistakes you've seen people made, especially through your ambassador and active activist work? I'm sure you're hearing a lot of teenagers say, well- my parents don't understand this or my parents are pushing this what are some of the things you can give us to think about
0: um, I mean, I'm not a parent, so I, I, I don't know. I think what my parents did really great is hearing me and then, you know, coming up like, what are we going to do now and making me feel like um, really safe in the fact that they were going to, you know, find me someone to talk to and like, you know, get me there and things like that. Um, but I also really wanted to go to therapy. And so I don't know if like forcing a child who's mm. not ready. Um, that could, I, I saw that with other friends of mine really backfire um, and put a bad taste in their mouth for therapy later on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I think it's really like just being present, listening to what your child needs. And if they're coming to you, like feeling honored because it's, it takes a lot to share with your parents, you know, especially at that age when you are kind of starting to really want your own independence. It's like, now I have to lean on my parents more. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think another thing, and this isn't just parents, but this is like, everyone is, is being like, oh, well that's normal. Or that's, you know, oh, everyone feels that way and not validating someone's reality. Um, I think that's something I seem to be very detrimental for people.
1: Yeah. Wow. Thank you. And 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 yeah, I completely agree. I I know you're not a parent, but I always feel like it's interesting for parents to hear it from kids. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. it's almost like we've all been children. And and I feel like we forget that when we become an adult or you become a parent and sort of hear it from a and even what you shared about your friends and saying like actually what we don't want is that everyone listens to this podcast and then goes to their kid and says, you need to go to therapy, look what, you know. Yeah, and, for- and, and then that kid's like, but I don't want to go to therapy. And then what you just said, that when someone feels forced to do that, that actually ruins that experience for them even in the future. And so I think that's a, that's a great insight that I think could easily be missed because I think a lot of people do... Hear a piece of advice and then go. Okay, well that's what my kid needs to do. But being present, listening as you.
0: Yeah, and there's other like outlets for anxiety. There's you know music or there's you know like there's other things. Like I I really love journaling as a kid. Like I just grew up doing it. I still do it now. And like that was so cathartic for me and almost as healing as therapy. And so like if that's not the thing, and that's this is the whole thing when when I talk about mental health, it's it's trial and error, right? Like it doesn't work for everyone. And so you have to try one thing and be like, oh okay that didn't work. Let me try this. And and that's how my list was created was I, I did a million other things besides the 10 things on there that didn't work.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me and my wife actually started a new, I don't know, maybe when this is out, it will already be out, maybe not. We've been doing a new series of doing things together that's meant to relieve your anxiety.
0: Oh my gosh, that's and so, so great. Yeah. Okay. And
1: so we went last week, we went to, this video is not out yet, but we went to a break room. I don't know if you've ever been to a break room. Oh, where room, you
0: hit things. Where you
1: hit things. So we were not feeling stressed or anxious that day. And actually being with my wife is like one of my favorite things. Like I love filming with her. I'm always just like, if I could just be (laughs) with you all day, it'd be amazing. And so we're off there to this rage room to break stuff. Yeah. And we walk into this room and it literally feels like I'm in a set of the movie Saw. You know, oh my like gosh. Kind of yes. I know exactly what you're and talking about. And so you about. walk in and then you see all these like computers there, there's bottles, there's everything. Cause, and then there's like all these different baseball bats and lead pipes and all this kind of stuff. You
0: don't want to be in there with the wrong person. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want
1: to be in there. And the thing is, you know, what was really interesting? Me and my wife went in there and we walked out feeling more anxious than we did walking in because we realized that we don't like breaking stuff during that. Do, but even if I was stressed I was like I don't really want to break stuff I don't, we were like my wife's holding the bottle and you know what my wife's like and she's holding a bottle and she's like no, <laughs> I mean, she doesn't oh, want to break
0: it and then I'm
1: like trying to break stuff but I, and I'm using all my force when I'm like this is not making me happy it's actually giving me anxiety and then I read a study afterwards that said if you're anxious before it relieves it but if you're not anxious before it creates it and I was oh. like I should have known this before you and picked the wrong day. I picked the wrong day. And the best thing, well, the funniest thing was when we came out, I was talking to the lady who, uh, you know, was there and knew about the experience. And she was saying that people come there when they get divorced or breakups. Mm. And then they often put like pictures of the person. And then, you know, and I was like, oh, that makes sense now, I get it. But again, it's like different things work for different people. That day, we also did a splatter room, which is where you get lots of paint and you get to paint canvases. You get oh, paint that's more. cool. And it was so fun. Like we were both just like, I would do this every week because it was so nice to make a mess without it having any repercussions right. right? That's what it's that like a different
0: for. type of of mess than the one before totally um and no i will say though for one of my self-care tools is like whenever i had a breakup i always took up boxing at that time and you know like you know and it was very cathartic you picture your ex's face and you just punch it (laughs) you know and so but exactly when you're in that space when you need that outlet it makes sense but when you're just going in it's like this feels not good to me yeah
1: exactly (laughs) going to a more beautiful Mm -hmm. one giving back once a month uh i wanted to ask you about that like first of all when did you discover that that was something that really helped you and give me some examples of the things you've done over time especially when you were younger and now today as well like what are some of the things that you've done that you felt were really a big part of that giving back that made a difference
0: yeah i mean my philanthropic work and my advocacy work is some of my favorite work that I do. And yeah. so because I am an ambassador for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and because I, I work with other organizations, like I get to do that on a large scale very often now. But before, it was just something I had to put in my schedule when I was at um, USC. I used to just volunteer at a local homeless shelter every Sunday or Saturday morning. And I just, you know, give them meals and, and things like that. And so I think just thinking outside of yourself because again when you're anxious or you're depressed or whatever you get it just you get so consumed and you get stuck in a rut in your head and when you think outside of yourself like oh someone else's needs right now. Mm. And at least for 30 minutes, an hour, like you're not worried about yourself. You're not worried about all the things that are making you feel anxious or depressed or whatever. And so I found that to be very healing for me. And then now to be able to do that on a large scale and speak with NAMI and, and lobby Congress and all that stuff, it's giving back on you know a bigger scale, but it it still provides relief for me.
1: Yeah, I love that. And and, and all the studies back that up and show that. Like, yeah. Even when we're experiencing anxiety and stress, when we go and relieve the anxiety and stress of others or feel like we're working on that it massively impacts how we feel yeah. so that's such a great example. not
0: to just do things <laughs> <No>. for myself <laughs> but yeah. you know it, it does there is a reciprocal thing when you're you know giving back you're also we said that earlier you're also you know getting something from it as well
1: yeah absolutely and w- when you're in some of those rooms like when you're lobbying congress or, or or like standing up for a right or do you ever feel like are you ever like what am I doing? Like, I can't believe I'm here. Like oh. from having experienced anxiety to now like being an activist. And that's, that's an amazing journey in and of itself.
0: Yeah. When I lobbied Congress with uh NAMI and I remember we were getting off the bus at DC to, to walk up the steps of um uh, the, the Capitol. I was like, every anxious moment, panic attack was worth it to be standing here because I felt like you know, those you've very few moments in your life where you feel like everything's come to this moment. And there were days where like the struggle was real. You know, I was really having panic attacks. I really didn't want to go to school. I really didn't want to do these things. There was a time in which I I couldn't leave my house. And it was just like, wow, to go through all of that to overcome it all, and then to be standing here and championing for somebody else, like it, it just makes it feel like it wasn't for nothing, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'm saying. I love that journey because I think when when you can see it. And and wherever you are, if anyone who's listening or watching right now, wherever you are on that journey, that journey of you from school to the capital is full of tiny little steps.
0: Yes. Oh and my gosh. It does not happen overnight.
1: Yeah. It's just <laughs> these tiny little steps, these tiny shifts, these tiny changes. And then you get this big moment where you get to stand up for something you believe in, which is beautiful. One of the Uh, other habits that you wrote down which I loved was God, Spirit, Connect, Church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was thinking is that something that's been a part of your life since you were...
0: Yeah. Uh, really I was, young. I was raised, my mom was a very new age, uh, growing up. And so at the time, like law of attraction and all that stuff was like very, yeah. um, woo woo. <laughs> and, um, I didn't really tell kids at school that that's really what we were doing at home. But now, <laughs> now, of course, everybody in LA does it, but, um, <laughs> which I love, but, um, yeah, it was like very normal for me. We used to go to uh, agape. I don't know if you know. Yes, yeah. I um, know agape, yeah. And so I grew up there, like going to their kid's room. And so I still watch it now even though it's, you know, virtual. Um, but yeah, I think my meditation practice too is like a huge part of my um, mental health tool- toolkit and just sitting and getting quiet and connecting and feeling like there's something else, you know, or there's meaning to all of this. Um, for me, is really relieving.
1: Yeah, and that's, and has that been a habit that you've continued even during the pandemic, I guess you're saying virtually? or Yeah,
0: yeah, how, oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: how has that been sustained during this time? Because I feel like being present with people is such a, beautiful way for that connection
0: yeah it is it's tough when you can't be in the room but i do virtual um i do virtual like meditation classes um with unplug and i do virtual i just do virtual everything <laughs> i
1: love it yeah that's amazing it takes a bit of i was actually saying that we i set up with two of my close friends we set up meditation communities together during the pandemic oh,
0: that's and so, so cool.
1: me them and then their friends their family every week on zoom we meditate together i guide the meditations and it's just been so beautiful and meaningful because we've got all these amazing friendships that have come out of yeah. this Zoom and I didn't even know half the people on there I didn't know anyone on there actually <laughs> beyond this person and now a year and a half later or a year and a half later I literally feel like I've got all these new friends.
0: No, it's so weird how like you make these Zoom friendships because we had to. Like I, I, this is nothing like what you were just saying, but I was in like a French course over this last year. And like these two girls on my French course, I just flew out to Boston to meet them in real life because I was like, I feel like you're my real friends. And people were like, you've never met in person. I'm like, but you can of have, you know, after, you know, a year of Zooming with somebody.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And you have to get creative in that way. Yeah. And, and you have to realize that. I found that what was really fascinating is I found that if you do something meaningful in the center of a group of people, whether it's virtual or physical, you create an amazingly deep bond. Yeah. But if you do something meaningless, whether it's physical or virtual, you actually don't feel close to those people. Right. And so it's like the the reason you're coming together is actually so much more important than even coming together.
0: Right. That and, yeah. And
1: I and I saw that just transform so much of my life in the last eighteen months where. Relationships came from places I didn't expect them to because I didn't realize that even if you did something virtually, but it was powerful and meaningful and purposeful, the quality of that relationship was far greater than if you just hung out on a Zoom. Right. And so, yeah, anyway, that was, I don't know if that's useful. Or <laughs> no, it was. But, no, yeah, just, I
0: completely agree with you.
1: Yeah. When, when do you feel, you're, we were talking about this earlier, and we've really talked about your mental well being and your journey with that, but you're such a creative right? Whether it's like DJing, whether it's producing, writing. I want to know, when do you feel most creative? And what do you feel is your greatest superpower when it comes to creativity? And when you access it, you're like, oh, I felt that.
0: That's tough because I feel like my creativity manifests in so many different ways. Um, Like, you know, I'm an actor and I'm a writer as well. And I consider myself a dancer. I'm not professional by any means, but I grew up dancing. That was like my first performative love. And so I feel like my most creative, honestly, when I'm alone, like I really get into this and maybe it's that like tortured artist thing (laughs) that you kind of have to do. Um, But really when I'm alone and I sit and I get quiet, and in my meditations, that's where my podcast came from. I was sitting in meditation and I like opened my eyes. And I'm like, I have to do a podcast. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like you kind of just hear things. And so I think for me, and I'm so lucky that my my partner, my boyfriend, he understands that like for me to be creative, like I have to really sink in. And before I have auditions or before I go, you know, on set, like I have to kind of have the day before to really just, it, I think it's just really getting Connected with yourself. Yeah. You know, I think that's why I need that quiet, alone space. And so um, I think eliminating distractions for me is is a big thing.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I'm yeah. the same. Like before something big, whatever yeah. that may be, for me, it's the same. I need to be alone. It needs to be quiet. I need to be in my own thoughts. Yeah. I don't want any distractions. So I relate to that fully and I find that- it's important what you just said there is a really big lesson. Like with the people that you love around you, it's important you explain that to them because otherwise they just start to think like they're doing something wrong or like they don't understand you or they've made a mistake. And it's so important. Like what you just explained that, you know, my boyfriend understands that, when this is happening, that this is what I need. Yeah. I, I think that's such a healthy way of communicating.
0: Yeah, I'm very lucky that my boyfriend is also a writer and director. It yeah. also needs <laughs> like his own time. So it's like, we, we're a great match. Yeah. But yeah, no, explaining to him like, hey, it's not you, but yeah. like, it, like if I have an audition, like the night before, like, you know, I need my time. I have to get into the character and like, I'll call you right when I'm out, you know? Yeah,
1: and I, and I love that the name of the podcast is exactly the sentence you would say during meditation
0: am i, right? doing, am this I right? doing this right like, yeah. i mean
1: it's a question we ask for a lot of things but yeah. because you said you got the idea while you were meditating yeah i was just like yes there are many times in meditation where the thought in my head is am i doing this right?" oh yeah
0: and i always tell people when they are afraid to start meditation i'm like there is no right way to do it yeah. it's not i used to think meditation was levitating in your <laughs> living room and like you know rising from the ground and i was like no if you could just get quiet for like two minutes, mm. one minute, like, and then now I'm like, I sit for 30 minutes every day. But um, yeah, no, a lot of people think, yeah, am I doing this right? Is this how yeah. it's supposed to feel? Like, am I supposed to have like some profound, that my epiphany is not my normal meditation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that meditation practice. You said you went from like one to two minutes to now 30 minutes a day. Like, what does that look like? What, do you, what are you doing for that 30 minutes? Uh, what time of day it is? And, and how are you practicing that?
0: Um, I wake up first thing in the morning, let my dog out, and then I. That's when I meditate. I, we get back inside, and I mean, it started with just sitting for ten minutes and just learning how to follow my breath, um, which is great for anybody who's experiencing anxiety because when you can, you, you know, when you can lower your breath, you lower your heart rate, and all, a lot of your anxiety symptoms go away. So that was like almost like being very practical anxiety relief that helped me. But then I started to really love the spiritual side of it, and then it grew, and now I'm doing. I have crystals and there's sage and it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's all, it's a production. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a long time. My dog's sitting there like, really? We have to do all of this every time.
1: <laughs> I love that. That's so important though, because that creates so much like a foundation in your day and a certainty. And like, it creates an environment that you love walking into. and Yeah. And it's yeah. just
0: like the best way for me to get in the right headspace to do things like this, to, you know, go out in the world. And I'm an introvert, so I have to like charge up before I go out, you know?
1: Yeah. I can relate to that. Let's talk about that because I reckon everyone who's listening to this is going, you guys are not introverts. Like, You're not you know, an introvert. Yeah. No I, way. Yeah, definitely. Like I have to like self-preserve yeah. so much to have energy. And if I go to an event, if it's my event, it's different. But mm-hmm. if it's if I'm going to an event, I will just try and find one person to have a deep, meaningful conversation <laughs> like, with. I yeah, like, I the yeah, I won't introduce myself <laughs> to everyone because not because I'm anxious or scared by it, but I just really like deep connection yeah. more than I love, um, you know, wide connection, I right. guess. And that idea of just just being able to have like lots of small talk throughout the night just doesn't fulfill me in the same way. And I also, I feel like I spent a lot of my life being an extrovert uh, during my teens, but then I feel like I became more and more of an introvert because I realized the value of being alone, especially mm-hmm. when it came to making big decisions, mm-hmm. especially when it came to like sticking to my guns on an idea I had and no one agreed with me. And as I started to realize that the more time I spent with people, the more their voice became louder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, but I want to follow my heart. Like, so I feel like with all of that, like my favorite thing to do, without a doubt, on a weekend is sit with a bunch of books, make notes, read, yeah, listen, learn. Like I could, I do that if my wife's traveling or not with me. I would literally just do that, and I'll order in,
0: I'll oh, that's stay my favorite
1: like, that's my my favorite thing to do, you too,
0: yo, oh yeah, yeah, same exactly, like i I mean it's. I feel like I'm an extroverted introvert where I can go out. It's all coming be out now.
1: It's all coming out now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it can be on, but then I have to go home and I can't see people for like three days and I have no. to like completely go inward. And so, yeah, it's, it's just about charging and then like, you know, going out and right, feeling purposeful when you are out, like, and having meaning when you're out and not just, I do, I too get drained. with just like, Hey, how are you doing? What's the, matter? you know, all of that.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and that's why your podcast is great because you're asking the question, am I doing this right? <laughs> and I think that that question is such, that, that question is like, we ask it to ourselves all the time. Like I, I'll be sitting as an interviewer going, am I doing this right? Am I asking the right questions? And I do it when I'm an interviewee. If I'm being interviewed, I'm sitting there going, am I doing this right? And then it happens when I'm writing my book. It happens when it's a question that we ask again and again and again. What have you discovered by asking that question, by sitting and having these amazing discussions uh, on the podcast? What have you learned about that question and understanding what is right?
0: Um, well, I, it's very simple is that no one knows what they're doing and no one <laughs> thinks they're doing it right. And I think that's what's really bonded us with our listeners, because I think they are like, okay, finally, someone else is like admitting that like, we have no idea what we're doing. And yeah. we're supposed to pretend like we know how to do these things. Um, Ours is like, a, our podcast is a life how to podcast. So we go through very confusing things in adulthood that you think you're supposed to know, but you don't really like, how do I file my taxes? What is a 401k? I don't know. if you, Yeah. All these things that you're supposed to know and you don't, and you're never taught in school. And it's like, okay, we're going to stop pretending that we have it all figured out. And we're going to admit, at least me and my co-host, my best friend, Natalie are going to admit, we don't know anything and we'll figure it out for you.
1: Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I love that because even for me, when I moved to the U.S., I had to learn a whole Oh, year. yeah, that's
0: why I was like, I don't know if you even know what a 401k is. No, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. I do now. I'm yeah. Like, yeah, but it
1: was like when I moved to the U.S. So it, in the U.K., I relied on my mom because my mom was like a financial advisor. That's and where my and mom my dad's is. An ac- really? My, no, my
0: mom's an accountant. Oh, yeah, and my,
1: my dad's an accountant. So <laughs> I was like, okay, they, they've got me covered. They'll figure it out. And then I moved here and I was like, oh. And then I was like trying to get help from them, but none of them could help me because everything's different over here. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've had to learn about every aspect of it, which... It is so complex if you haven't learned it at school. Uh, I wonder whether you're going to do a crypto episode. We did a crypto oh, we episode. Yeah, Amazing. We okay. just,
0: it's literally called A Preschooler's Guide to Crypto. I love and it. And like, when I tell you, we like are hand-holding you because it was something people have been talking about. They use yep. big words. And me and my best friend are like, we are, she's a art major. Like, she, we don't know any of this. We're creative people. And so we were like, we'll look it up and <laughs> we'll explain it to you. We also, like, drink a glass of wine every episode, so it's fun. And it's not like a boring TED Talk, yeah, you know? Yeah. We, we want it to be like you're going to drinks with your girlfriend and you're like, hey, like, what's crypto? And you're yeah. like, oh, it's this, you know?
1: Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and, and that's awesome. And I think that's how we all want to learn. Yeah. Like we all learn more through conversation than we do through, like, whiteboards and whatever it may be. And, yeah. And that sort of approach. But- What's been the most popular episode? I'm intrigued. I always ask that question to someone who has a podcast because I'm intrigued to hear about what people are like really like wanting to learn. What's been your most popular conversation that you've
0: had? We we did an episode on morning routines and we we researched how billionaires start their day. Mm -hmm. And um, that one got a lot of hits. I think we we don't only do... like personal finance, we started that way. Then we were like, wait, there's a lot of other things in adulthood like we need to figure out, which is like morning routines, nighttime routines, you know, going, we just did an episode on going to therapy. Um, And so, but that one, we got a lot of hits on, I think, because, I don't know, people want to have successful mornings. Like we we were saying, like me meditating in the morning, like starts my day off for Mm -hmm. success. So very interesting. Yeah, Oprah wakes up at uh, 6, 10 a.m. naturally. Without an alarm clock, mm-hmm. which I was like, I can never do that.
1: Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, I've, I've read those. There's, there's such incredible ones because I found that I think it was like, I, and I might be getting this wrong, but I remember when I looked at that, it was like 63% of the most successful people in the world get like seven to eight hours of sleep. They like do. They're actually getting their sleep, contrary to popular belief, which is that you have to sleep four hours if you want to be successful.
0: No, a lot of them do. A lot of them um, woke up later than I did. I I think somebody, and I don't want to say it was Elon Musk, it was someone else like woke up at 10 or something. I was like, wow, like they're really getting a lot of sleep.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I should just wake up at 10. Like this, yeah, why am I waking up early for?
0: Yeah. No, it's, I
1: think these things are so important to study. And I was saying this to someone earlier today that So a lot of people today, we struggle because we're like, oh, well, we don't want to be compared to this ideal or like, why are we looking at what others are doing? But the truth is that you have two options when you're looking at success. You either look at success with envy Mm. or you look at success with study, but we both have to look at it. So some people are looking at everyone going, oh, I wish I had that or, oh God, why are You know, trying to be perfect or whatever, or we can look at it and say, well, what can I learn from that? Yeah. Like, like how do I apply that to my life? And I feel like studying health, healthy, wealthy, and wise individuals is a great way to live. Because it helps you figure out what parts of it you want to apply to your life.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, a hundred percent. And like, like I said, like I'm not going to naturally wake up at six a.m. It's just I'm going to need an alarm clock. But it is it's just, one. It's interesting. Yeah. And two, I, I mean, I think you can start to like find little things that you can apply here and there. And and the the rest of the episode goes into just like healthy morning habits. We we only use like .dot and so We don't just like pull from you know a random article. Yeah. Uh, but we find things that have you know, real science behind it.
1: Yeah, what's been a habit or a principle or a way someone lives or even a financial thing that surprised you? Are you like, that's so cool. Like, I didn't know that. Is there anything that stood (sighs) out like that? I'll share one while you're thinking. For me, it was, uh, we had Russ on the podcast Mm -hmm. and I was obviously asking him questions about creativity and music. And he was saying that his favorite thing to do, and we'll both align with this, he was saying his favorite thing to do is get all of his friends out of the studio, not invite anyone over, go into the basement or go into the studio and make weird sounds that he would only make if he was on his own.
0: That is And so, so- he literally
1: like yells into the microphone, he makes a weird sound, he screams and he goes, if I had my friends in there, I would feel so judged yeah. that I wouldn't do that. So he goes, for me, the best creativity is being alone. And just making weird noises, <laughs> and then I'll discover something like, "Oh, I want to find an instrument like that." Yeah, like,
0: be. like, yeah. No, oh, that's that's really really interesting. No, yeah. I, I mean I haven't had anything like that on our podcast yet. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, like this was not as cool at all. So I don't want to say <laughs> oh my it.
1: God, no, I'm just going.
0: <laughs> no, we were we were really surprised. We were looking up um, also, like in this morning routines episode, like what a lot of people eat mm-hmm. in the morning. Okay. And you, you know, That's you good. you've been like um, sold that you need to have like bacon and eggs. Most people have oatmeal, and I was like, I don't like oatmeal, <laughs> but maybe I should try eating oatmeal because most billionaires eat oatmeal.
1: Do you know why that makes me <laughs> happy? I've been eating oatmeal my whole life for breakfast. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I recently switched to chia pudding because I found out that I have a slight allergy to oats.
0: Oh, you do? Yeah, so, so
1: I switched to chia pudding, which is actually much nicer. So
0: Okay. Well you're yeah. already on your way. I yeah. mean you yeah, you're already incredible.
1: Chia pudding, blueberries, strawberries. That's,
0: that's a, your that's it's your morning. Amazing.
1: It's such a great Okay, breakfast.
0: I need to be on that. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and like you said, it's all personal. Like, you know, like I have a I did a micronutrient test recently, which is what helped me realize that yeah. I have a slight allergy to oats. But also, like oats was leaving me feeling bloated or uncomfortable, yeah. whatever it may be. Whereas chia seed pudding has been amazing for me. So,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, guess,
1: I guess we're gonna <laughs> redefine what billionaires eat in the morning. Exactly, it doesn't have to be oatmeal. It can no, be. it doesn't
0: have to be. <laughs> and like everyone makes, and that's the whole thing with like my toolkit and like that's like it, it's a choose your own adventure thing. But yeah. I think when you have the knowledge of what to do, that empowers you to make the most you know conscious decision for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. What are you most excited about? what you're creating right now? Like what's a role that you're playing that you've just deeply dived into and you're just feeling it. Or even if there's something coming up that you're just like, this is challenging me in a way that I know I'm growing.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty sure by the time this comes out, this will be news. Um, I just sold my first TV show.
1: Congratulations. I, yeah, that's huge. Yeah,
0: two, two weeks ago. Um, and so that has been such a journey for me. I've been working on this show for like five plus years. I wrote it. I created it. Um, Are you in it too? I'm in it as okay. well. Um, and so I just sold it. And so I think for me, this is like this new challenge for me. I, I, I've EP'd a show before. Um, the one on Netflix, that's Stop Embarrassing Me. But I've never been the creator and the writer and the EP and the actors, So, th- I mean, it's going to be this whole new ball game for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm really excited to go down the path. I'm terrified. <laughs> but again, to circle back to the beginning, like, I feel like I can do it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Of course you can. And congratulations. I love that you shared that with us. And I, I love that because it's such, you're taking on just so much. I mean, to write, create, direct, and be in it. Uh, which part of it do you enjoy the most? Or or is, it, is that a bad question? <laughs>
0: they 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 stretch different muscles tell, tell me what about me?
1: what they stretch because i yeah i get that like what what does each part of it do for you personally
0: i i again i'm a very type a type b person so i need the like rawness and, and then the role in the in the show for myself is um she has this beautiful journey and this beautiful evolution of self and discovery and so like to be able to be in her shoes i'm so excited to do but then also like from my producer side, like my type A side, like I can't wait to get everything in line and like get our cast set. And like, I like checking boxes. And so like, that's going to give me, um that's going to like feed that side of myself. So it's like this perfect balance of like, my creativity's just being stretched in both ways. Life coach and therapist <laughs> is really what it is. <laughs> there
1: we go. I love it. What What do you think is the most scariest thing you've ever taken on or the most like challenging thing you've ever taken on? Is this going to be it or... What's up to now? What's been that thing, personal um, or professional?
0: Uh, personal. There's been a there's been a few, but I would say professional. Um, I did a live special on ABC of Good Times. Um, it was a live performance. We were doing a one night only thing with Jimmy Kimmel was hosting it. Viola Davis was playing my mother. I was playing like an iconic character, Thelma Evans, and it was terrifying. Um, also, um, Tiffany Haddish was in the cast. I mean, it was an incredible cast. And then like imposter syndrome, me. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Can I, I've never done a play before. And essentially this is what this is. And it's live for millions of people. Um, So it was absolutely terrifying. But the way I, I coped with that fear was to come in so prepared that nothing could shake me. I knew this performance frontwards, backwards. I did it every day, 10 times a day. <laughs> my boyfriend was like going to go crazy because I was just saying my lines, saying my lines. But it, it worked out because you get there and you're nervous and you're like, at least I know my lines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally. I remember that. Except the funny thing for me is, and I'm sure you've experienced this, whenever you turn up with all that prep and knowing your lines, they always change your lines on the day. Oh, yeah. And you're like, or they give you a new script. <laughs> you're like, like I just. Luckily, that,
0: we were going from uh, original episodes. So we, we could go. not, we weren't going to go from the script. Like that. But that does always happen.
1: Yeah. No, I love that. that yeah, because I always get there. And I'm like, but having said all of that, you, what you just said is spot on, that when you've done that prep, you actually feel like you can adapt to whatever's thrown at you.
0: Right. And that's what I've learned with being an actor. It's like when you really know your script, that's when you can play. But when you're sitting there remembering your lines, you're not present. You're not in the scene. And so like I applied that there, which was an acting thing. And I was just like, the more I know my lines, the more fun I'm going to have doing this because this is the scariest thing I've ever done.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. All right. I... Corinne, I could Karen talking to you for fun for, for hours and hours and hours, but we end every episode of On Purpose with the final five. Okay. So these are the fast five. Questions have to be one word to one sentence maximum. Okay. So it can be whatever a sentence is. I don't know. Okay. Seven words, nine words. I don't know whatever it is. Okay. So the first question is, what is the best advice you've ever received?
0: Always save a little love for yourself.
1: Oh, I love that. That's such great. I've never heard that before. That's beautiful. What's the worst advice you've ever received?
0: Um, That wearing Uggs was a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us why. Um, Because I have a lot of uh, horrible red carpet moments from when I was 10 years old. And I look back and I'm like, why would I wear Uggs on a red carpet? (laughs) You were
1: 10. You didn't choose those, did you? Or you did? I
0: probably did. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I love that. All right. What gets you excited and gets you excited when you're waking up out of bed every morning?
0: My sisters.
1: Tell us more. I'm going to you Oh, okay. You oh, then I can yeah, yeah, explain. Yeah. Um, my you don't si- have to. I'm, I'm intrigued. Handsome. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. My sisters are 13 and 14. And I look forward to hearing about their days every day because they're at this pivotal age, really the age where I was diagnosed with anxiety. And to see them growing and changing every day, it makes me so excited. And also, I'm just so hopeful with all of Gen Z. They're incredible. I'm <laughs> like, you guys have it way more put together than we do.
1: <laughs> I love that. Question number four. What is your current purpose? So how would you define your current purpose?
0: Being a voice for those that feel silenced.
1: I love that. Fifth question. uh, If you could, and this can be gone longer, if you could meet your younger self again today, your 14-year-old self, what would you tell her? Uh,
0: It's funny because I I, I answered this question today, but um, I would tell her it gets better. Um, I was also bullied, um, in high school. And there was a time in which you feel like it's the end of the world. And I wish I could go back to that girl and be like, it it doesn't only get better. It it gets spectacular and it keeps going and you're only going to go up from here. And I think when you're that age, you just, everything feels like the end of the world and it, it doesn't, it isn't. And, um, Yeah, it hasn't been.
1: (laughs) That's beautiful. Corinne, thank you so much for being so 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 vulnerable, so open, so generous with your time and also your energy. And just, I think everyone who's going to listen to this is going to have a great time. I think there's moments where we're laughing. There's moments (laughs) where people are having really profound moments. And I love just how, what I really admire about you is just how focused you are on your well-being and yourself. And I find that that's such a, brilliant foundation for all the success you're creating from it. Because often you find that people are doing a lot of successful things, they're making things happen, but their personal health and wellness is is kind of all over the place. And so I really appreciate that. And I think you're setting a wonderful example of how that's the foundation of everything that's to come.
0: Oh, thank right. you so, so yeah. much. Thank you so this much. This was such an honor. Yeah. Seriously, I can't believe I was on your podcast. Again, oh. Oprah was on your podcast. How am I on your podcast? <laughs>
1: no, you were here because you are showing all generations to come, just how to figure out our life step-by-step, keep that love for ourselves, remove that self-judgment, beat that imposter (laughs) syndrome. I mean, this is exactly what we all need to hear. If you've been listening or watching at home, I want to make sure that you tag me and Corinne on Instagram, on Twitter, on any platform you're listening on and let us know what were the takeaways, what were the nuggets of wisdom that Corinne said that you're going to repeat. Maybe you're going to say it to yourself, maybe you're going to say it to your kids. Maybe you're going to say it to your parents, whoever you're going to say it to. Uh, please do tag both of us because I love seeing what you're learning and what you're taking away. Uh, Corinne, any final words or anything you want to share?
0: Oh my God. I mean, no, I just, again, this has been such an honor. And it, I mean, I am such a huge fan of you and your wife. <laughs> I said that when I, I first it. walked I in it. here. I was like, yeah. where's your wife? <laughs> um, um, and so no, it's, it's been so great talking to you. Oh,
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you.